As well as welcoming little beautiful Alva Hazel, I want to draw attention to the newlywed beauties, Carl and Chloe. Welcome, it is so lovely to see you. And um, I also want to say welcome back, Benji, from your first year at uni. Fantastic. <laughs> so we are family and, and we should celebrate uh, all of that. Okay. I, um, each of these preachers could probably be a series in themselves and there's so much in them and all we're doing, all Dave and I are attempting to do is give a, a whistle-stop tour and perhaps invite you into more work which happens outside of here. Um, I am speaking this morning on shalom and gender. I, I want to say at the outset that I am speaking to male and female gender and it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge the transgender community um, and say that a community that is aligned and, uh, and suffers greatly, that I want to honour them as well. I find when I am thinking about my interconnectedness with the other who is not like me, I find the wisdom of C.S. Lewis so helpful, so helpful. It should come up behind me. As we keep soft, open hearts, we will see and experience God in the small and most surprising of ways. And I find that so helpful when I think of the other. And I, I just want to maybe open and acknowledge that right from the beginning. Today as we begin, I, I, I want you to look around the room and clock eyes with a woman that you're not in good relationship with. Not that you're in bad relationship, obviously, but that you're not, that you don't know well. I want you just to get a look at a woman in the room who is not one that you normally are chatting to or know, okay? I want you to hold her image because she is an image bearer. And I want you to hold her image because I want to talk through the harsh reality and the lived experience of women across the world. And for me, statistics are really mind-blowing and I don't know what to do with them. But if I think of that person, of every statistic representing a person, I find it easier to connect with. And so I want to frame the lived reality across this globe. When God designed the garden, he designed us as a family that would spread out over the globe. It was not that we were to be divided by race or nation or identity. And we were to be as one. And so I just want to, to draw your attention this morning. So if we think of ourselves globally, one in four women will experience gender-based violence over the course of their lives. One in four. In the UK, one in three women aged between 16 and 59 will experience domestic abuse. And in the last 10 years, the statistics in the UK tell us that one woman is murdered at the hands of someone they have known intimately every three days. Every three days. I find that gut-wrenchingly abhorrent. The impact of lockdown has been profound. In the first three weeks of lockdown last March 2020, 16 women and children were murdered within their home. And the fifth of all reported crimes over the last year of lockdown have been domestic in nature. Vera Baird QC, she's the Victims Commissioner, and she gave evidence recently to the Justice Committee. And she described worldwide that domestic abuse is now the epidemic within the pandemic. 
the state of our homes and our families and our gender relationships are far from shalom. We have, in May 2020, the government released 76 million emergency funding for the vulnerable, and a quarter of that went towards help women who were victims of violence. And in April 2021, we should be celebrating the fact that our governments and those in authority have passed the Domestic Abuse Act. It protects survivors and it works with perpetrators to understand their behaviours, their experiences that led them to become abusers. This is good news. This is good news that we now have legislation to protect all. And I want to also say in terms of domestic abuse, while the majority of perpetrators are men, it is not exclusive. There are thousands of men who experience abuse within their homes. I looked at some stuff on pornography from a brilliant, a great sort of charity called Enough of Enough. And if you're a parent in the room this morning, 75% of parents thought their kids would never have used pornography. 53% of children said they had. 50% of 11 to 13 year olds interviewed had viewed pornography, either by accident or otherwise. And that rose to 78% of 16 to 17 year olds. Girls said they watched it to manage boys' expectations. Young women are being trained to watch pornography and harm sexual violence to meet the expectations of boys. Something very wrong has happened. If you go onto the No More Traffic website, which Chloe is involved in, you will see the statistics for sex trafficking. I am calling our attention to these because I love this quote from William Wilberforce who ended slavery. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. So I don't trot all these stats out to kind of traumatize you or some kind of voyeuristic thing. I, tr I trot these stats out because we have to understand that the shalom that was designed between genders is not the reality of our world. And we, as a follower of Jesus, have got to give our all to fight it, to fight for it, and to bring shalom to the interconnectedness between us. In a very interesting book on the making of biblical womanhood, the historical reality is that social systems that invest some people with power over the lives of others result in the destruction of people. That idea that she talks about in the book, that when one suffers, we all suffer. And the reason I asked you to think, to have a, a visual of a woman in the room when I read those stats out is because it makes it a little more real. And perhaps it invites us to think, what am I going to do about her, her sister, my sister, your sister? Let's look at what God designed for creation because that is where it all began. Genesis 1, 26 to 29, I'm reading from the English Standard and the, the words will be behind you. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then in chapter 2, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found to be a helper fit for him. She had to be something pretty good. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took over one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The verses 26 to 27, we were all made and all created to be the image bearer of God. And we were all called to exercise dominion and to steward the world and creation and to protect and serve all of creation. We were all designed as image bearers equally and it was only in the fall, which you can read on in chapter three, where dominion actually joined the story of God. Humanity went their own way and they were interrupted. The God-designed mutual and non-hierarchical male and female relationships. So patriarchy and dominion came in after the fall when humanity decided they knew the way that we should go. They knew better than God's design. It was very interesting when I was doing my kind of research for this, I read the different views around women and complementarian and egalitarian. And as you would expect, both positions use the same passage as evidence for their, their point. <laughs> and that is why we have to go with a critical eye, look at the context, the culture, read around, because we can, the, the, the two positions can be argued from the one passage. That's what makes it quite unique. I'll, come, I'll speak to that in a moment. But in Genesis 2, the word Adam in Hebrew is actually human. And God saw the need for a helper for this human that he had created. And the Hebrew word in the text is Ezer. As I said a few weeks ago, it was used 21 times in Scripture and 19 times it was used for God, the supreme helper. So I don't think that suggests dominion. I think that suggests a fit a compliment, if you like. Adam named her woman, and he named both, so Adam named both genders. He didn't have authority one over the other, and it was only after the fall that he gave her the name Eve. So male dominance, as it were, was not found anywhere in the story of God before the fall. We chose it and we created dominance between the genders and that dominance is patriarchy and the interconnected shalom that is between us that was God's very good design for us was broken and will remain so and we see it everywhere. 
Patriarchy, I would boldly suggest, is a construct of the fallen war world, and it is at war with the kingdom of God. And we need to address it, own it, and do something about it. After the fall, the story of God tells us the great redemption story, ultimately leading to the cross and to Pentecost. And the aim of the cross and the aim of the baptism of the Spirit was to restore the temple of God where he could dwell, where his presence dwells, where heaven and earth are intertwined and full restoration and reconciliation will only come in revelation. But if we look through the story of God after the fall, in Joel, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So Joel in the Old Testament spoke of the redemptive nature of Christ, the redemptive story that we are all part of. And then if we go to Acts 2, in the last days, God says... Hearkening back to the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. There is so much more that I could say on this, but it would be foolish of me to think I could present it in any way better than Dave Kapener did back in the day in 2015. And so behind me, is a re it will be his paper, which was called Female, Male, Leadership and the Church. And it describes very robustly the kind of journey of theology that this community went on and the position that we accepted, which he would describe as complementary without hierarchy. We are different. Women are not designed to be men. Men are not designed to be women. But we are equal in value, role and in purpose. And so there's a ref there should be a reference to the website. It's redeemercentral.com slash verygoodgospel. It is a 66-page document, so it is a good read. It is a good read. <laughs> and I want to honor it. So where does that leave us? After the fall, we went our own way. And we decided that... Um, we knew better and dominance came in. So let's think about women in the story of God as told throughout the Bible. We had Miriam who led the people out of exile. We had Rahab, a powerful story, a sex worker living on the margins. She saw Yahweh and Yahweh saw her and he saw past her profession and what she did to make her money. And he used her and she became part of the genealogy of Jesus what honor for the first known sex worker in the story of God. If we think of how Jesus overruled his disciples so he could listen to the woman at Canaan. The Samaritan woman, she was the first missionary ever sent. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene who had seven demons cast out of her. Her mental health and her distress must have been profound. Is it any wonder she was weeping at the womb? at the tomb, at the tomb. Jesus saw her truest self and freed her of the demons. The women were there and they anointed Jesus for the, his death. That was traditionally a priest's role. So if we look through 
throughout the New Testament and how Jesus looked at women. He gave them position and power and identity that was normally male. He was completely countercultural back in those days. It was always priests that anointed people before death. He had a woman do it. Women were witnesses to the resurrection. Back in those days, it was only two men who could give a legal testimony because I read a great quote, and I think it still hangs around today. Women are slightly prone to hysteria, and so they couldn't give a legal testimony. I don't know how many of us women have suffered thoughts of that. Jesus always listened when women spoke. And so Jesus came to restore what had gone wrong in the fall. He came to bring back women to their position and to their identity. My favorite story, which I want to read you, one of my favorite stories as told in Mark. It actually says Genesis, my apologies. It's actually Mark chapter 5, 25 to 34. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. She told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love that story because if I ever wonder about my female identity and my value in the kingdom, I think of that woman. 12 years of bleeding every day, physically and mentally exhausted, broke because she spent all her money. She's an outcast. She's considered unclean. So in that culture, no human being would have touched her in 12 years. 12 years. And she knew when she saw him that everything would change. And all she had to do was touch him. And I remember when I used to read this story, I used to think, oh Jesus, why didn't you just let her slip away? She carried enough shame and horror and, and it must have been so shameful to be smelly and dirty and, she, and on your own. Why did you not just let her slip away? But Jesus did so much more. He insisted, despite his disciples, he insisted. And he wanted to know who she was and he named her daughter. He gave her back her identity and he said, daughter, you are free. And so for any woman who sits these days and falls under the lies of patriarchy or wonders where your identity is, play those words in your head. Daughter, go in peace and be free. Go in peace and be free.
Dorothy Sayers, who died well before any of us were born, she says it so beautifully, much better than I can. Perhaps it's no wonder women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There never has been another, a prophet and a teacher who didn't nag, flatter, or patronize them, who never made jokes about them, who rebuked them without querulousness and praised them without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female. He had no axe to grind or uneasy male dignity to defend. He simply took them as he found them. It is no wonder that women were first at his cradle and last at his grave. So how do we, as a community of Jesus followers, how do we restore the easier idea? How do we aid and help the world and the church? I love this quote from John Golden Gay, it'll be behind me. You have the image of God represented in humanity only when you have both men and women there. When women are not present and involved in God's work in the world and in the church, the image of God is not present. And so what do I, what do I want to leave you with as men and women followers of Jesus this morning? Custis James wrote in a, was quoted in a book I read this week and he said, the Apostle Paul is the unexpected exhibit A of the fact that men and boys who follow Jesus are radical like the Jesus they follow. They define the maelstrom and embrace the freeing, life-giving power of the gospel. They are not defined by patriarchy or any other cultural definition of what it means to be a man, but instead they reclaim their Edenic call to image God. That I would boldly suggest is my invitation to all the male members of this community. Claim back the design of Eden where you have nothing to prove and that we are all created to complement one another, to bring the kingdom of Jesus to this community and this world. And we work best when we work together. I don't need to be better than any man and a man doesn't need to be better than me. Together we are connected and that is where the shalom of heaven will reach earth. That is what I fully believe. What do I want to say to the woman in the room? Well, when I'm working with adults and I'm not minimizing the deep wounds that people carry, but I, I do, there's always a point in therapy when I say there has to be a sell-by date on blaming your parents for everything. There has to be a point where you say enough's enough. I'm going to move into adulthood, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to move on, I'm going to become whole. And I actually was thinking about that this week and thought, do you know what, Stephanie? There needs to be a sell-by date on me using patriarchy as my reason for not stepping in to all that I am called to, for not using my voice and serving the broken and the lost because of some ideas I might have grown up with or had. And I would invite us women in this community to come to the cross, spend time with the beautiful one who says to you, go and be free. Don't listen to the other voices. Repent of the times that you have 
own them and leave them down and step into a new way of living and being. I saw Amelia, is she still there? Would Amelia come up and show me her beautiful t-shirt? She is wearing a t-shirt that I think sums up more than what I need to say to women in the room. Amelia, would you come up and let everyone see your t-shirt? Good woman, come on up, sweetie pie. I, I saw this on Amelia earlier. You turn around, lovely lady. So we've got a pink t-shirt. Women, celebrate your femininity. Celebrate the fact that you were designed as a woman. And here's the best message. Be brave, be bold. Be brave and be bold. That is all that I want to say to the women of this community. Because I imagine that if we start to be brave and be bold, we will bring healing and restoration and shalom to the in-between of all of us. But more importantly, much more importantly, to the street that we stand on, the parish that we serve, and the people who are all around us. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you. As we come now to the cross and we celebrate communion as we do here every week, Jesus at the cross said, it is finished. And he heralded the work of all creation. And so this morning, I invite us to pause and as we sing the song, come and take the bread and the wine. Come and remember that the old ways are gone. That, that the fall is broken. And that this is the restoration of God's good gospel. To bring shalom to us as individuals. To the between us. And to everyone around us. So come as we usually do one at a time. I picked these roses this morning. I was sitting outside in our backyard and I was having a cup of coffee and I was praying about this morning. And these roses, I, I don't often sit and stare at them, but we've been talking about creation. We've been talking about the beautiful creation. Just as you walk past, take a whiff of those roses because those are very good. And those are a reminder that the maker of this heaven and earth created beauty in all. And it's good sometimes to sit and to reflect on that and to be thankful. So enjoy the fragrance as you walk past them. So let's sing and during the singing, come and take the bread and the wine and then at the end we'll pause and take them together. Thank you.